At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. We got a, a really good conversation for you guys. We have Matthew Reed from Equipco. Now, Equipco is nationwide across Canada, but what we're going to talk about today is a boiler design, a basic wall mount boiler design that incorporates in-floor heating, like radiant heat, and a hydronic forced air coil, a two-zone system. Very, very basic stuff. Matthew's going to walk us through the the process from start to finish on how we would look at this how we would go about sizing how we would go about designing and how we go about installing this so this is a good one guys listen up pay attention this is the hvac know it all podcast i'm your host gary mccready this podcast is sponsored by the master group and one of the tools i picked up for demo purposes was the klein tools bluetooth speaker with magnetic strap and hook this thing it has a very strong magnet, so it'll, it'll attach to the side of, of a unit, and it's got crisp, phenomenal sound. You can play it loud if you want. I wouldn't suggest that if the customer's around, um, or for safety reasons, loud music might not be a good thing. But if you play some low ambient music while you're working, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but this thing is is a badass speaker. You can even make phone calls on it. If your phone rings, you can answer your phone and talk through the speaker. Very, very cool stuff. So check that out, guys, from the Master Group. Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas. Now, they've been around for almost a century. That's crazy. So providing uniforms to blue-collar trades like HVAC, refrigeration, plumbing, electrical, for decades. So they got this Comfort Flex Pro brand that allows you to move around, stretch out, and it's like if you're bending, you're picking stuff up, you're, you're moving with the uniform and the clothing, it's not working against you. I've got some samples, I've tried it out, it's, it is comfortable. So if you're looking for uniforms for your team, check out Cintas. We have a landing page for you to check out, it's Cintas dot com forward slash hvac know it all that's c i n t a s dot com forward slash hvac know it all welcome to the hvac know it all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in toronto canada your host and hvac tech gary mccready will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things hvac from storytelling to technical discussion enjoy the show all right, Matthew, you ready to talk hydronics? I I am ready and I'm thrilled and I'm excited to talk hydronics. Yeah, so am I. And sorry, just let me silence my phone here. So am I. It's something that I haven't done a lot of, I'll admit. And um, because I haven't done a lot of it, I don't know as much as I should about it. And I'm seeing all kinds of great installs on the hydronic side lately from guys like uh aaron bond right uh he's been one of the the first people i started to really it really started to catch my eye online when he'd build these mechanical rooms with the diamond plate uh walls and and everything was just pristine and, and i know a lot of younger younger techs in that same sort of realm of the industry 
are using Aaron as sort of their their mentor, which is which is great. I know a couple people down at the CMPX show where I, I actually met you for the first time that told me that. So that, that's pretty cool stuff. So what do you think about hydronics these days? Why are these why are these installs looking so so sweet like this? Well, the okay. Uh, there's a few things there. Number one, any job can look beautiful and perform terrible. Just just make sure we get that one, you know, clear and ready to go. Now, the reason that they're looking good is that Hydronics has always been a very uh, good looking um, workplace. When you have these beautiful boilers and pumps with their flashing lights and stuff like that. And the pipe work that you can do, um, if you can appreciate the amount of mechanical work that goes into that, then you can automatically take away the amount of pride that goes into that. Pride and ownership um, are two things that you really want. So as a contractor to do that sort of work that shows how prideful you are and excited to work in it, it then just, that business creates business. If you, if you look good and show like you care, people are going to want to do business with you. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, I think this is just this is just an opinion, or I guess it's an opinion. But I think that since press came into like plumbing, press came into the mix, it's just made everything look just that much better because every every joint is just kind of repeatable. There's no there's no running solder. There's no you know what I mean. Everything is just looks pristine joint wise as well. Yeah, the those fittings can look uh can can look great you know i was actually surprised by how fast the industry incorporated press uh they took a long time to get into uh pex when when pex first came out in the plumbing and Mm -hmm. hydronic industry um but there's been fast adaption into press now you you probably know there's there's that uh big divide on press the folks that love it and the folks that say that well that just means that anyone can do it um and I, I, I get both sides of that. I mean, with sweat and thread, you can take things apart. With press, you know, you're quite literally cutting out. So there's, there is that. But I mean, if you, if you do it right and get it designed properly the first time, then you mm-hmm. really don't have a whole lot to worry about other than your learning curve for the first couple of times. All right. You said the word design, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight is hydronic design, two-zone system. We're going to keep it simple. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and and who you work for, what you do, and just in your daily life in this industry. Exciting. So my name is Matthew Reed. I am a technical sales and trainer at Equipco Ontario. A little bit about Equipco, nationwide company uh, from coast to coast, from BC to uh, the Atlantic provinces. Um, we look after a myriad of uh, products. You can check it out. Check us out online, equipgoltv.com. I myself uh, am a hydronic BCIN designer. I ran my own company for a couple of years before joining Equipco um, as their this guy within the industry. And uh, I've been in the industry for about 20 years. That's about it. And it's been a lot of fun so far. And I'm glad that I've landed where I have. Nice, nice. And Equipco... You're explaining to me what Equipco is because I don't really understand what Equipco is. So, can you briefly explain what Equipco does? Oh man, I would I would love to. Uh, so, all products, all products that you got that you have out there are going to be looked after by someone. Either it's a manufacturer's rep uh, like myself, or it's going to be the manufacturer actually em- employs a sales rep themselves. So, as a manufacturer's rep, what we are is we are like the sales arm and the training arm and the facilities arm for all of these manufacturers. So for companies, um, like for example, one of the ones I look after being Bradford White, 
Um, every tank that goes out into the world and every part that goes out, that's looked after by us. And then in the back end, we support that with training, technical support, making sure that programs are created for wholesalers so that contractors like you can take advantage of deals and bargains and stuff like that. Very cool. Okay, cool. So let's move on to the, the design side because I know whoever's seen the title Hydronic Design basically wants to know how we how we design one right and and we're going to keep it simple in two zones like what kind of zones you want to do here um there's a so the the standard run that you're going to see is going to be a boiler with some radiant infloor and a hydronic air handler or a, an indirect water heater which both operate the same so we're going to do a boiler with radiant and an air handler nice okay so with any design we need to obviously know what kind of load we're dealing with, right? That would kind of be the first step. Absolutely. The whole thing starts with the heat loss. Now, heat losses can be, in theory, pretty simple. Um, there's a couple cheating methods that you can use for the year that the house was built and multiply it by a number um, to kind of give you an estimate of, of where you want to go. Now, the reason that the year the house is built uh, is because we've had code changes with required more and less insulation. So if you're looking for just a quick estimate, um, you can use on, on average, you know, uh, square footage of the house times 35 for old leaky homes, square footage of the house times 15 for newer kind of, uh, houses built after 2000. I'm not saying that as a guarantee. I'm saying that is an estimate. It's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Now, heat loss calculation from a designer's point of view is broken down into the exterior walls of the house and the windows. The formula itself is is fairly simple. It's the area um, area that you're doing. Usually, have a one wall at a time, multiplied by what's called the U value. Which don't let U scare you. All that that means is that you take the R value and make one divided by the R value. That gives you your U. So it's your area times your R factor or U as you want to call it, and then you multiply that by the square footage. You do that for every room, floor, and ceiling, window, door, and that's your heat loss. Um, there's also the things to take into account, such as air changes per hour and the uh, HRV rate and efficiency. But again, that's advanced design stuff that when we do a heat loss for home, that's stuff that we all calculate in. But for the basics, it's square footage of the house, uh, your R value, and away you go. So that's how the whole thing starts. Very cool. So once we know our load, now we have to pick equipment, right? Right. So when you're picking the equipment, it's important. It's actually written. There, there's a code, Gary, that no one really enforces or follows. It's called the B214. That is the CSA hydronics code. Um, now, it's, it's extremely important. But again, enforcing it has been lackluster. Anyway, it, it states in Section 4 of the, of the 214 that the equipment must be uh, selected no less than the heat load of the building. So that's where you know where to start your heat loss. Now, an interesting thing here, you know, I, I, I know that you play a lot in the forced air world. The folks over in forced air, like, and you see furnaces and stuff like that. On average, you see 45s and 70,000 BTU furnaces going in. But in the boiler side, like, we really start at, like, 100,000. And it's not that we oversize these things intentionally. It's just these are come, some of the smaller sizes that these, these units even come in. So you have to be cognizant of the size of the boiler that goes in and then getting it as close as you can to that heat load, but knowing that you're going to have challenges right off the bat with hydronics and the size of the boiler that you get anyway. 
challenges that are easily overcomable by programming and controls inside of the boiler. You want to get a boiler with good controls and programming on the internal logic. And then from that, you can size your boiler, know what's going to work for you and start to move on to your uh, piping, really. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's interesting. So some you're saying that if, if somebody wanted a boiler in their home, their home only required 60,000 BTUs, you're saying that the smallest boiler in some instances is 100,000 BTUs. Yeah, that's right. Like if you take, for example, combi boilers, um, which are extremely popular right now, the average size of the combi boiler that goes in, in a home in North America, or at least in Canada, it's, it's true in the States as well, but it's 199,000 BTUs that goes in, which is usually much larger than the heat load that is required, but we need that for the domestic hot water side of things, where we need 40,000 GPUs to create one gallon per minute uh, to 120 degrees in Canada because we have 40 degree incoming water. So we need a great big boiler to do our water, but then that creates challenges on the heating side of things. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that as, as if you're doing domestic hot water too. Is, was, was that included in our, in our two zone design doing domestic hot water as well? Yeah, so well, no, we, we're, we're not. We're actually going to be using the uh, air handler, but it still uses the same temperature as the uh, indirect tank. So it's going to work out the math anyway as we kind of dive into it. Okay, cool. So I guess our next step after the equipment selection would be to, to obviously install. Now, we are looking at in-floor and we are looking at... So in-floor, I think, would have to go in first because that's kind of when the, before the floor goes down and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yes, 100%. Uh, In-floor heating is uh, usually done during the framing stages. There's yeah. a couple things about that. Like, for example, in the the studs of the home, there's another, uh, I think it's called a footer um, or, or a, a, a stud that goes in underneath the wall to account for the fact that when you're doing radiant in this zone, you're going to have, like, usually about three inches at least of, you know, you have a layer of insulation, then your pecs, then your concrete or gypcrete on top of that. So like, you got to keep in mind, like there's a bit of room in there. So they create these deeper sills that you can run all this uh, uh, pex tubing inside of. So that part is actually one of the more tedious parts, I will admit, absolutely. Like putting down pecs is, uh, there's different equipment out there that can make this easier and whatnot, but it is still a long, arduous task. And you, one thing to keep in mind when you're putting down the pecs is that it's going to be, it's designed to go out at a certain temperature and come back at a certain temperature. That's called your delta T. Mm -hmm. So you want to keep your warmest water to the exterior walls of your home. So you usually start your loops. That's what they're called. They're loops going out um, into an exterior wall. And then a, a standard design is a serpentine track back in and back to the manifold. Now, something really crucial to pay attention of with regards to running radiant is your loop length. Um, the, the industry rule is you don't make your loop lengths any longer than 300 feet. The reason for that is because when you get past that 300 foot mark, it's like the head pressure. And I'll get back to head pressure again when we do pumps starts to really, really climb and become and you, you need a much larger pump to move the water at the speed that you need. So warmest packs at the outside, bring it back but a 300 foot loop back to the manifold and then another loop and another loop and away you go. Hmm. Crazy. So we could do, um, I mean, what, what I want to ask is cause I've seen, I've seen 
people that install the boilers and the piping and all that, but they'll sub out the work in the, the in-floor work to, to others and just come back and put the equipment in. Is that common? Um, no, I would, I would say no? they, like, I, I see a lot of folks running their own packs. Um, okay. Thing what it is, as you were talking about before with the, uh, these beautiful boiler rooms, brother, there is beautiful, full pieces all throughout this system. Like there is some loop layouts that with the, it's called a uh, reverse return. Uh, no, that's not what it's called. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's where it serpentines back inside of itself. Beautiful mm-hmm. work that can be done. Um, so again, it comes back to that pride where if you want to do it, you want to do it well, you're going to do it yourself. Okay, cool. All right. I just thought I, I overheard or over overread some some conversation about that online one time. So I thought I'd ask you just because any question to me is not a stupid question if you don't know the answer, right? Absolutely not. Please keep them coming. I, I'd love it. Cool. So I mean, I mean, we're we've got our our one zone we talked about our our in floor, and our other zone being a hydronic coil, right? That's that that's what you said, like in an air handler type thing. Hundred percent correct. Okay. So when it comes to that portion of it, that's really actually quite simple. The manufacturer of the air handler has a chart that says, "I'm going to give you this many BTUs if you give me this temperature of water at this flow." So all you need to do is put in the trim, and you're going to get that BTUs out of the system. But what's and, that, and that, like that's that's essentially it for like getting your heat emitters. So there's your heat generator being the boiler and then your heat emitters, your heat emitter on a forced air system are your registers or fl- floor registers on mm-hmm. a hydronic system. It's your in-floor heating or um, it could be the registers if it's an air handler or it could be a radiator like those are your heat emitters. So you create mm-hmm. it and then it's all getting it out. And it's actually that's the part that is the most difficult and crucial portion of it. You were, you know, when it, we were just talk, talking here a moment ago about pecs and needing to know how long those loops are and where to put that, the, the warmest loop uh, as it kind of starts out. Um, these pieces are all intertwined into a set of manifolds um, and they're, it's called trim, which is your accessories. And these all pieces all work together in harmony to make sure that the water goes where you want it to go at the speed you want it to go at. So if you kind of want to, like with regards to the the boiler, the rads, or sorry, the radiant and the air handlers, if you want to take it all the way back, we, we really haven't even gotten past the boiler yet. All like, right. So let's go there. So we're going all the way back to the boiler. This is what's going to happen. This thing is full of water. Um, water quality being without a doubt for everyone that, 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 that hears this, water quality is the absolute number one most important piece of a hydronic system without without equal it it needs to be addressed and reviewed at all times again it's it's in the csa uh, 214 water quality must be in accordance with the manufacturer's um, recommendations or install instructions so when you're talking about just the boiler the first thing you need to do is make sure that that boiler is always going to get flow itself just like if you have you know i i i started in the furnace industry so i'm going to revert a lot of the stuff back to that actually if you have a, a standard forced air furnace, you know, your, your the burners are going full speed. If that fan stops, you're going to trip on high limit. Or if that limit fails, you're going to crack your heat exchanger because it's going to get way too hot. Same thing with the boiler. I need flow through my heat exchanger. That mm-hmm. part is crucial. So what we do is with really good systems, we're using what's called low loss headers nowadays. 
which is going to separate the flow from the boiler from the system. I'm not going to get too deep into that. That's a bit more of a design part. But what it's going to do with the hydro separator is always ensure that that boiler sees flow. As long as it's seeing flow, we're going to be able to extract the heat from the water on, on the boiler side and put it over into the system side. And this will all just naturally happen by uh, the laws of fluid dynamics. So that part is, is crucial and key. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to ask you about water quality just quick because yeah. I think it's important as well. Like it's, it's a closed loop. Do we have makeup water or is it just a, we fill it and that's it? Quick break here, guys. So Dan Foss has a new installer app that's geared towards the heating side of things. So if you're looking for parts or if you're looking to balance a system, there's all kinds of tools on it. So it's called the Dan Foss installer app. Like I said, it has a lot of hydronic heating stuff on there, which is pretty cool. So check that out. So I just put together a little video that I'm probably going to post soon. So this podcast might be out after or before. It's hard to say. Of the Y-Jack Mano. So basically what it is, is a dual port manometer that's that's used on the Y-Jack platform, which is their app. And it comes with tubing and it comes with static pressure tips that allow you to insert them into the duct. And the static pressure tips have little holes in them that it takes the air pressure and sends it back through the tubing to the tool. So it would be great to check static pressures of duct systems or total external static pressure across an air handler, right? Because that's really important that a lot of a lot of people, they, they skip it. So let's move on to refrigeration technology, something that, that I've been doing. So as I started McCready HVAC, I'm doing a lot more residential stuff. And because, you know, I'm going to take what I can get to pay the bills. I'd be silly not to. And one thing that I, I started to do is a couple of coils that I got, I noticed that, you know, I, I don't do residential a lot. So I see the coil, uh, it's got an orifice. You got to take it apart to, to either put the orifice in or check to see if the orifice is correct that it was shipped with and it's already in there. So what I, what I do is I take that little nut off, right? I check the orifice, make sure it's in there, make sure it's correct. And when I put that nut back on purposely, I put some, some nylog on a little bit on the threads and a little bit on the seat where it, where it mates up that way. It's kind of like that five minutes to be a better tech thing. That way we're not having leaks at that nut like later on in life okay uh so let's talk about jb warranties jb warranties as i've talked about many times on this podcast in this segment is a warranty based company that provides warranties to your customers past the oem warranty for heat exchangers uh compressors anything that the oem warranty covers once that warranty passes or it's done jb warranties can step in and take over for that so that's what they're there for. If you're looking for that kind of peace of mind for your customers, check out JB Warranties. The other thing we're going to talk about here is Company Cam. Company Cam is an app-based platform. Anybody that is involved within a job, okay, all the, the notes, images, videos, voice memos, whatever, they all land in the same spot on the cloud, no room on your phone. Once they land there, anybody in the company that's involved can go check out the progress or go back and check history if something were to arise later on. So it helps keep people organized. We do, it's, it's always good practice uh, to install makeup water into a system, whether you're filling it with uh, city water or um, a glycol feeder. But the water that is in that closed loop system, that's the stuff that really matters. The, the reason for a makeup water is in case, you know, 
when the system runs for a bit, if there's a little air pocket inside of it that kind of yeah uh, comes out of, of solution every now and again, mm -hmm. you just take little little bits of water to make sure the system stays at pressure. Mm -hmm. So the water quality inside of that system is the stuff that needs to be of the most importance because it's going to be the majority of it. Using city water or um, any sort of like well water or water from a pond at like a cottage, those are usually just chock full of microbes and bacterias and sediments and stuff like that. Not mm -hmm. to mention the fact that the inside of the system as it runs is going to be releasing things into the system, such as magnetite, dirt, debris, uh, copper shavings, if you're using copper pipe, plastic shavings, if you're using plastic pipe, these bits of dirt and debris are extremely detrimental to a system. They, they create a layer between your heat emitter and the, and, the, and the space, reducing your efficiency immediately. The best you can do is demineralized water is wonderful for hydronic systems. It is the Again, without equal, the best you can do. Um, make sure that your total dissolved solid, which is known in the uh, in the manuals, was called TDS. TDS total dissolved solids are where they need to be for the system, which is usually between you know fifty and two hundred, but the the lower the better. Um, and you get that demineralized water in there, you're not going to have. Again, there's going to be a couple more pieces here, but you're not going to have that at least those microbes and bacteria inside um, creating any havoc in your system. All you will then have to deal with is the oxygen. Cool. Oxygen <clears throat> inside of water um, is the enemy. When we're talking, I'll go back to that low loss header I mentioned that's creating that the, the boiler loop. Most of those nowadays have a high efficiency air separator built into it. It's designed to actually create turbulence in the water have microbubbles come out of solution and then leave the water. If you get the air out, it doesn't get a chance to oxidize inside of any of these carbon steel or um, uh, uh, not stainless steel, sorry, um, like your 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 pump volutes are usually made out of cast iron, um, and that can all that will all lead to de debris coming in your system because of oxygen is going to oxidize on all those metal pieces. So. Get the oxygen out, decreases the dirt inside of the system, but you still should have some sort of dirt separation in a system. Um, just like, again, I'll relate this one back to furnaces, and I do this one all the time. Um, we would never in a million years install a furnace without a furnace filter, right? Mm -hmm. So to install a boiler without some sort of boiler filter, we'd be out of our minds. Yeah. Yeah. So man. that part's important. You get the air out. Um, create a place to get the dirt out as well, but air is more important because that'll lead to way more dirt inside of a system. So that's where water quality comes in. Use the cleanest water you can, get the air out, get the dirt out. There's lots of additives and chemicals you can put in as well, um, but that'll be based on you know your kind of preference as to what you like to put in your systems. Okay, cool. All right, so we got we kind of backtracked to that one, and, yeah. and I thank you because that that is that is important. And I got I took some a bunch of notes there because I just learned a ton of stuff. So you talked about the boiler. So after the boiler, like we gotta we gotta move past the boiler uh, to where we gotta go, and then into our two zones. What depending yep. on when they're calling or when they're in demand, right? Absolutely. So we got our boiler. It's now in the, uh, it's, it's on its own side of the system with the low loss header. The reason I didn't talk about a pump for the boiler is that most of them have it built inside of it nowadays. But 
pumps are what creates flow. That's your circulators. Usually they're inside, but if you need an external one, the boiler manufacturer usually lists, use this one or this one or this one. So that one goes on the boiler side. Going back into our system now. So now we have this um, radiant field. We have all this radiant inflow, or let's say it's in a basement or something like this. So as a designer, what you'll know is that in order to get the amount of BTUs back into the room that is going to be lost through a natural heat loss, you need to move the water through at this temperature. Let's just say the an average temperature is about 100 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit for inflow radiant uh, in the tubing. And mm-hmm. then that needs to be moved at a certain speed so that you get a certain delta T or temperature drop for every loop. The industry average is a 20 degree Fahrenheit. No, sorry, on radiance, it's a 10 degree Fahrenheit temperature drop from supply to return. So you're, you size your pump um, based on a formula. It's called GPM equals BTU divided by delta T times 500. Um, that's the formula we use to calculate our pump size. And then the PEX manufacturer will have a chart that says if you're moving water through at this speed, this is how much it's called head loss or friction loss um, that you will get inside of the piping system. So you size your pump based on a curve. I need this GPM at this head loss. That'll move the water where I need it to. And away you go. The And again, for the radiant field, just kind of bringing that back just one more side here. As that's on the system side now of the low loss header, you have to make sure that the pipe size you use is, the, is size enough to carry the BTU load. Again, to take it back to duct work, um, if you tried to move a 100,000 BTU furnace, you know, you just come off the top and put that into a five inch round pipe, that's not gonna do a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. So same thing, if I need to move, you know, if the, my radiant floor system requires um, 100,000 BTUs, I mean, moving that through an inch and a quarter pipe. So that's where pipe sizing and pump sizing comes into play. Yeah, that's that's a lot for uh, when I'm, I'm listening to you here and I'm like, as as a technician, a plumber, HVAC guy that's out doing installs and service calls, obviously, if we're going to do a job like this, we need to establish a, a relationship with a designer and have this designed properly. We can't just go in there and just start banging things in. So these projects are mostly designed from the ground up for from your experience. Um, actually, no. And I'll tell you why it's once you understand kind of the basics of it, it's really kind of repetitive stuff. So all that we're kind of looking for, like what you said is 100% correct. As you're getting started, designers are your absolute best friends in the whole wide world. Mm -hmm. Once you start to understand, though, you can really kind of start to do this yourself. Um, But it is it, it, it actually is specified again in the B214. Uh, one of the lines in there is that all components will be selected according to the system design. So the design can be done pretty much by anyone that knows what they're doing. Um, but until you do, you have to lean on somebody for help. And that's that's what we do. You know, that's what I do all day long is I'm here to help and answer those questions for folks that really want to get into it and are interested in it. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's it's just uh, like when you're throwing all the formulas and curves and it's like, man, like if I got this job tomorrow, I'd be screwed because I wouldn't know where to start to design this. So it makes sense what you said. Once you you do one, you get a designer, you do like 10, 20. By the time you're on your 20th job, you're like, okay, so that's repetitive. That's repetitive. That that now I kind of I'm piecing it together. So it makes sense what you're saying. When you first start, you're going to need a designer to help out. 
I'll tell you, you know, um, my, some of my first days on the job, because my, my, my first kind of gig was actually more of a uh, uh, service guy. Um, when I first started in the industry, I, I came from forced air. So I was like, how do I relate forced air into hydronics? And you start to look at it and you're like, oh, man, not a lot of this relates. And I was absolutely terrified. In all these boiler rooms that I went into, I was scared out of my mind as to what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. um, what I found is that the most powerful tool you have in your tool belt when it comes to hydronics is your phone. Like there is so many good and talented people within this industry. And I mean, extremely good and talented. And they're, they're, they're at wholesale locations, they're manufacturers, reps like myself everyone wants to help you be successful in hydronics everyone that 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 plays in it we we, we want we want to help great okay yeah. or at least i i <laughs> oh i'm sure that there's a lot of people that want to help i just talked to some guy today um he's from armstrong actually he's like he said to me he's like you know he's like i've been taught by a lot of great people in in the in the, the industry he's like now I feel like I got to give back. And it's true. What You got to come full circle because if someone took the time out of their day and time is, as you get older, you realize time is very, your most valuable asset really. And somebody is taking time out of their life to teach you. Maybe at some point you can give back to those that need to be taught as well, right? 100%. Yeah. So let's get back to this design thing. So we, we got, you talked about pipe um, sizing and all that. And after we get through the piping and the pump and stuff, we, we, we got to hit our zones, but we got to control. We have to have some sort of control to know when and maybe valving. And I, I don't know. So take us through that. Okay. So now we have our basic, we, we've, we've sized our pipe for our boilers. We put it through a low loss header, um, which again, I'm using for simplicity because they are terrifically easy. We've got our pipe size going out to our radiant side. And we've got our pipe size going out to our air handler. From that, um, the next piece of the puzzle is actually going to be start to actually put all these things together with your fittings and your piping. And with this, I'm going to get to controls. So out of the boiler and pretty much into every piece that you are doing, um, the systems must be designed in a way that they can be serviced. So unions and ball valves are your best friends in the whole wide world. So as you start to create your piping system and get it attached to your uh, radiant manifold and into your uh, air handler or the, uh, or the indirect, whatever it is, you now start to talk about what sort of trim is needed. And the trim is going to be in, a, in, a, in the trim is going to be required for both of the expansion of water and the temperature of water. The first thing to be controlled that we know is going to happen is that water as it heats is going to be expanded. So we need to put in an expansion tank. The rules of expansion tanks are this, and they're actually, there's only, there's only a couple and they're pretty easy. Always make sure that the expansion tank is located downstream or on the suction end of the pump. I don't really care which pump you put it on. Uh, well, there is some details there, but make sure that that part is at least happening. So you're pumping away from that. Uh, Dan Holohan actually has a wonderful hydronics book called Pumping Away. If you check that one out, you will learn a tremendous amount about the hydronic industry just from that little guy right there. So expansion so we, tank on the suction end of the boiler. Absolutely. Okay. Suction end of the pump. Suction end of the pump. Yeah, okay. I see. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. So... <clears throat> 
again, that's there for pressure reasons, which we can talk about later on. Okay. Um, and from that is going to be actually, um, now we're talking about the temperatures going into the system. Radiant inflow, like I, like I kind of mentioned, operates at about 105 degrees Fahrenheit. But an air handler is going to operate at like 160 to 180. For this case, we're going to talk about the air handler using 160 degree water. Okay. So that means that I have to set my boiler that I want you to make 160 degrees. As I do that, the boiler now says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and make 160 degrees. But then you have to put something in the radiant side to make sure that it doesn't get to 160 degrees. And that's called a mixing valve. Mixing valves, essentially what they're doing is they're taking the hot water from the supply side, uh, so that 160 degrees, and they're mixing down with return temperature from the zone that it is feeding, um, and then is, fe and is feeding out to the system that mixed temperature. So you have the boiler making 160, then we come through our low loss header, come into our system side, and then we have it going into our mixing valve at 160, and then mixing down with the return water temperature and going out at 105. The air handler is always going to be seeing 160, which makes it very, very happy. That's what it needs for its heat loss. So there's our essential trim that we need in our system. We have the boiler that heats up, water expands, expansion tank. The radiant requires lower temperature, mixing valve to mix that down. Okay, so there's our basic trim. From that, we now start to talk about where these pumps are going to go and how, how they are required. The boiler pump, we're going to assume that that one is going to be built into the boiler in this case, because we'll make it as simple as possible. And that one happens all the time. A, a ton of, of manufacturers have that. The pump for your radiant zone must be downstream of the mixing valve, meaning post it, um, where the water is mixed on the discharge end of that. Your pump goes into that, and that's going to be feeding into your radiant manifold. Your pump for your air handler not a huge deal as to where exactly this one goes. We're going to say this one's going to go on the supply side of the boiler, so feeding into the boiler. All these pumps now need to be controlled by a thermostat and a relay. The thermostat, we'll start with the thermostat that's going to be used for the in-floor. Thermostats for in-floor, there's a, there's a bunch of them out there, and almost everything can be used. But if you want to be the best you can possibly be, a thermostat with a floor temperature temperature sensing, uh, or sorry, floor temperature sensor, that is the kind of the one you want. And for a couple reasons, depending on what sort of covering is going over this radiant, if it's tile or carpet or hardwood, each of these um, floor coverings have different temperature allowances. For example, hardwood cannot get any hotter than 80 degrees or it starts to warp and go all weird on you. So a temperature sensor in the floor will say, okay, I want the room to be at 21 degrees, 21 degrees Celsius, but the floor can get no hotter than 80 degrees Fahrenheit. So it'll use its logic to be like, okay, we're approaching temperature, but we're too hot on the floor. We got to turn it off. So then it'll start to, then it'll turn off that pump feeding into the uh, in floor. So you can use that, that radiant uh, thermostat to either do ambient temperature or floor temperature and set it at a, whichever one you want. And then you get over to the air handler thermostat. Nothing crazy here. We're just talking about a, you know, um, Honeywell TH5 or something like that. Um, all these thermostats now are going to be required to get power from something. 
It is no real different than your standard thermostats that you use. We're just talking about R and W. Now, what you do with them is going to be either A, wire them back to the boiler, where my thermostat's usually called CH uh, on the, uh, the, the boiler um, wiring side of things. So your thermostat will wire into CH1 thermostat. This is going to be the one for your in-floor. And then, again, just R and W coming back. And then on the other side of that relay is going to be 120 volt going out to your circulating pump that you have for the in-floor. Um, and on the air handler side, same thing, R&W coming down into my relay board or sorry, back into the boiler and then 120 going out into that pump. So as these thermostats call, it now knows, okay, the boiler has a call. I need hot water. The boiler activates, it activates its internal pump, turns on, fires, um, creates its loop heating through the low loss header, getting nice, good flow, heating up to 160 degrees. The, again, vast, vast majority of boilers nowadays are wall-hung modulating boilers. And what will happen is the good ones will fire actually in low fire and ramp up. That way there, it'll make sure that you don't get into what's called short cycling, which we, which we can talk about if you wish. Um, the boiler fires, starts to ramp up, brings itself to that 160, and then it holds that temperature at 160 by modulating up and down. The radiant floor is now calling, so it's going to be sending out its 105, bringing back temperatures at, you know, a 10 degree delta T, so a 95 is what you want to see that thing come back at. Your air handler thermostat's calling, so you got 160 going to that guy, and it sees um, usually a 20 degree delta T, because that's the industry standard, so it sees 140 coming back. So what will happen is the, 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 the boiler temperature will go, it'll keep on maintaining that, that 160. But your return temperatures now, we talked about we have a 95 from the in-floor and a 140 from the uh, air handler. So you got about a average temperature of that out at 125, something like that. Um, that's going to be the temperature that comes back to the boiler. And then we get into what's called condensing mode, which is the boiler's most efficient side. And we can talk all about that. But that's your flow of your system with your controls. Very cool. So... How, what what is the efficiency of these boilers? Like, what are you getting out of them? Okay, here's the thing. No boiler burner in the world under non-condensing conditions is going to get any more than like 90-ish percent. Okay? okay, so that's what you're looking at. In order to hit these higher efficiencies, your 90, 95s, 96s, 97s, you need to make them condense. Furnaces condense super easy because the return air is well below the dew point of natural gas combustion, which is about 135. But with hydronics, we're talking about warmer temperatures. So if we can bring the return temperature or the return water back to the boiler at beneath that 135 magic number, we can make the boiler condense. The way that the laws of, of uh, condensation within the boiler are this. For every gallon of condensate that you create uh, per hour, is an additional 900 BTUs that were going into the system that you pulled uh, hmm. from the secondary um, heat exchanger through like the condensation of flue gases that changes state, releases more BTUs into the system. So if you operate this system inefficiently without a design where you got way high temperatures and you can't get a good delta T on the system, you're never gonna get any more than your high 80s to low 90s. If you make it condense, that's with a proper design. That's where we get up into our 95s, 97s. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because if it's condensing, there's less heat leaving the boiler, right? 
hundred percent correct in the, in the stack. Yeah. Yeah. So with, we design the, the move in forward in the industry, what we're doing a, a whole lot of now with our net zero homes and uh, everything like that is a lot more low temperature systems. We see a lot more systems that are being run at uh, that 120 Fahrenheit mark. So your radiant inflow has always, always been extremely efficient. That's also why it's really popular is because mm -hmm. it can be very, very efficient when installed correctly. But that air handler that I just talked about, yeah, I needed to get, you know, 70,000 BTUs out of it. So I ran 160 degree water at 5 GPM or whatever it needed in the design for it. But I can also use a larger unit and run cooler water temperature through it, like 120 through it at, uh, you know, 6 GPM or 7 GPM and still be in that condensation temperature range and hit the heat load that you need to get to your home. Make sure that your boiler is in maximum efficiency and using larger heat emitters is how we're actually lowering temperatures on our systems and always putting the boilers into condensing mode, which makes them at their most efficient. Hmm. It's crazy. This this world, this heating world is is crazy. The the optimization of of uh, heating a small home or even a large home or building is just it's just nuts. We we can get it. We have it down to a, almost an exact science these days. It's uh you know. With regards to what we just kind of went went over here with the, the boiler, mixing valve, radiant, everything like that, it should be known that these systems can be incredibly simple. If we used different heat emitters with really low head loss, like radiators, like they do over in Europe and stuff like that, we can decrease a lot of the pieces inside of our system. Like you can just talk about a boiler with a single pump that just goes and feeds the system. The heat loads in these homes that we're, that we're creating nowadays have extremely small heat loads. Like I've seen some as low as 15 to 20,000 BTUs for like 2,000 square foot homes, incredibly low heat losses. A couple radiators with really low flow going through them, that's the way to do it. That's the way to get it sized. Like that's the simplest way to do it. Um, and it also kind of like alleviates, sorry, doesn't it doesn't alleviate it's actually one of the reasons for you could possibly see short cycling though so that would just require some uh uh one one additional piece which is a buffer tank so think of a buffer tank as like a battery for a system we're going to have the boiler create 50 gallons of 120 degree water right now that the system can pull from whenever it wants and the boiler just needs to fire every now and again to keep that tank at that 120. That makes systems incredibly easy and simple. Mm -hmm. So we, we can do stuff like that. We just, we choose a lot to do these real intricate designs. You know, the, these ones that are online that are beautiful systems, again, are also very, very intricate and complicated. There is nothing wrong with complicated when designed correctly. My point being, we can keep it real, real simple, but that usually doesn't get the the flair of, you know, those, those mechanical rooms that we've come to love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny you brought up radiators and slowing the flow through them to get the temperature correct and all that. I don't know if you've ever seen this. You ever seen an old downtown building that has rads boiler system, but it just runs full tilt in the winter. It doesn't, and there's no valving on the boy, the rads, the pump just goes full tilt and they actually start running AC <laughs> because the, it has air conditioning as well, uh, mm -hmm. separate to the boiler system and the AC's on 
and the boilers on at the same time. I'm like, geez, <laughs> like we got to do something about this. I see this all the time. This is extremely common. We, it's, we do our best in this industry to make sure that we oversize things like crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason for that is actually, it, it's a, it's a, a, a mental piece that we can't get past that understanding that like a simple, a real simple system can keep us warm when it's minus 40 outside. But we, we've taken with the new construction styles that we have now, we've taken a lot of that onus of the heating system off of the heating system and put it in our walls and windows with better and better insulation. The systems that are downtown that have, you know, these big cast iron rads going full time um, and the ACs on up at the top, it's because, you know, they, they were built, you know, many, many years ago. Uh, a, a, a lot of them were anyway. And we had to make sure that we had that heat inside the building. Since then, you know, they probably had new windows installed and um, pieces like that. And if we were to resize them right now, number one, it would cost a fortune to redo all of those radiators. So I, I understand why, but it is extremely wasteful that we heat all this air and then we just get rid of it. You know, at least with an HRV or something, we are able to capture like up to 83%, I believe it is now with these things. We just, I don't know, there, there, there's definitely better solutions. And if, again, take your time and get it, your, all your systems designed. Let somebody else do the mathematics for you so that the system is easy and simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I put a lot of trust in, in people like yourself who design because I think they really help make the job go right. And there's somebody to lean on if something goes wrong. And because uh, I, I used a, a designer just for a quick load calculation and it was just a cool experience just to go through it because they needed some information for me i had to go to the home i had to get it take it and then i found out that the furnace was oversized by like half of the amount it needed right? it was just, yeah it was just it was just a cool exercise to go through and and i learned a lot from it and it was it, it was it was pretty cool so like i said to lean on designers like yourself who are very knowledgeable and, and have the that, that kind of the, the skills and the experience to to help you i think is really important you pick up that phone like you said that's 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 really you know all that i all that i ever wanted to do it just uh i, I like i said I, I i really truly enjoy all of these pieces here and again i i i can't stress enough how very very afraid of hydronics i was at first and you will be, you will continue to be. There's no way that you can have listened to what I just said in the last 40 minutes and be like, oh, I get it. That makes sense to me. That's that's extremely difficult. If I got any points across, it's just that I want you to make sure that your system, if you're doing any sort of system, make sure you get your flow, make sure there's flow going through your system and size it right. For that, just contact us designers at any given time and we're, we're happy to help you out, but I don't expect anyone to learn this stuff immediately or overnight. Cause it just is not going to happen until you're in those rooms or until you're in a classroom. We do a lot of hydronic one-on-one trainings. Um, and until you're in that classroom and can kind of see this stuff installed and actually have someone walk you through a live fire training room, that's when things start to be like, okay, because it is, it, it is a lot about relating the material. And there is some similarities, like I mentioned. And as, as I said, I come from Forest Air. So these were my similarities. The, a heat exchanger is a heat exchanger. But instead of transferring heat to the air, I'm transferring it now into water. Mm-hmm. The blower motor is the piece that carries that heat through the home inside of your ductwork. 
So you have that blower motor, which essentially could be viewed as just a pump inside of a hydronic system. Mm -hmm. Then you have your um, piping going out to your different uh, heat emitters, as I mentioned. Well, that's just the same as your duct work. And then your heat emitters being a rate a zone of radiant floor or a towel warmer or an indirect heater or whatever it doesn't matter those are just your registers so it's all about how does this all work with regards to what i already know and kind of bring that back to be like okay what are the what now are the differences that i have to be cognizant of and just mm -hmm. air and air and water carry a lot of the same um physical dynamics um and it's just kind of understanding where they are similar and where they are, where they are slightly different. Hmm. Yeah, it was a very interesting comparison, and I've always, I've always sort of compared it like that as well. Especially the the, the blower. Instead, now it's a pump when you're dealing with hydronics because you got to move that medium, whatever it is, in order Absolutely. to exchange in order to exchange it. So is that is that it? Have we designed the basic system kind of from <clears throat> scratch? Kind of, yeah. I mean, we got the. We got the boiler sized, we size our pump. Um, again, use a low loss header for simplicity um, and to create flow. We then have our supply and return, I call them headers. Um, and those headers, you know, you have your supply header going into your radiant zone, into the mixing valve, into the pump, then into your air handler and then back. Um, there is, there's, I talked about the dirt separation. I talked about the air separation. Those two are, you know, very, very crucial and important. I went over the pipe sizing of it. Um, and one really good tool to have is that all boiler manufacturers will put a mechanical room um, piping schematic inside of their designs that you can lean on for that. Most boilers are very simple pieces of equipment um with regards to what they need they need fuel they need fire and they need flow so as long mm -hmm. as you're able to give it that the boiler is going to start and run and work if you take into consideration you know that you've got your air separation and your dirt separation in the system to make sure that it's nice and clean your water quality is taken care of the thermostats do their job calls the pumps on do what you need it to do it's all just keeping it as simple as you possibly can but trying to picture it in your head that you're listening to, that's complicated. But once you see it a couple of times, it really can start to make sense very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, this is uh, this was a great conversation, Matthew. I got to admit, like I got I got a, two pages of notes here that I took while you were talking. You know, so, and I, I don't usually come back to the notes. I just write them down because I want them. I want to come back. Like what, what I mean is like in, in a month, I might not come back to these because they probably won't make sense to me in a month. I just write them down. Because when I write it down, I feel like it sticks in my head better. And they're, they're also talking points for me to look at and say, hey, like, what about this? What about that? So um, because I wrote so many notes, I, I know this was a good conversation. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And, you know, I, I'm happy that we're able to at least start that conversation. And I don't want anyone to be terrified of these systems. I just want them to be best friends with their phone. Just... There's no reason for anyone to walk away from a hydronics project when offered. Um, it can be looked after by multiple trades. You know, plumbers can look after it. Gas fitters can look after it. It's all just comes out to basically knowledge base with regards to it. Um, so if you are up against something, you're like, okay, you know what? I want to kind of give it a shot. It looks like it's something kind of in my size range. 
you can absolutely lean on a manufacturer's rep or a manufacturer themselves. We are here to make sure that, well, primarily that our equipment goes in and works as we design it to. And in so doing that, we are going to help you by making sure that you give us the additional pieces that we need inside of our boiler, inside of our radiant manifolds, all these pieces. Awesome. Well, this has been fabulous and I really appreciate this conversation tonight. Yeah, man, this was a, this was a ton of fun. Please, please feel free to lean on me at any time. I'm happy to chat this out with quite literally anyone. I'm kind of a nerd at parties. Uh, I don't really want to talk about, you know, the, the weather of friendship. I just really want to go to their basement and look at their furnace and be like, okay, check out some ductwork, this and that. How's the AC working? Okay. Has it ever been cleaned? I don't know. I'm just nerdy. If you're interested in hydronics beforehand, I think this podcast, this interview, this conversation is going to help you get a little bit more interested because that was an awesome step-by-step conversation from Matthew. And we appreciate that quite a bit here because we're all about education. And he took us through a great conversation on how we start and how we finish and everything in between. Obviously, there's more to this. And this is just the beginning stages, or if you're into this, this is, you already know this stuff already, but if you're just getting into hydronics, I mean, this was a great starting point here. Anyway, thank you, Matthew. Thank you once again to the Master Group. I'm out. Happy HVACing, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.